1: Becky, tell me what that piece of music is for any of the listeners that might not be familiar and also what feelings that conjures up for you with regard to your late father, Peter. That's
0: the uh, Welsh rugby anthem that they sing and the crowd sings before Welsh rugby matches. Um, and that always reminds me of Dad and makes me shed a bit of a tear and definitely get a tingle down my spine when I hear it. Um, he was a huge Welsh rugby fan and he used to go quite often from London to their matches in Cardiff to watch and sing it with absolute gusto he also used to sing it when he watched it on TV when he couldn't make it to Cardiff he used to sing very loudly in front of the TV and when mum and dad had a cat he used to sing at the absolute top of his voice so loudly that it would frighten the cat and I just got visions of the cat getting absolutely spooked and running out of the room when dad was bellowing out that anthem. So was he uh,
1: a good singer? (laughs) He tried,
0: he was an enthusiastic singer. (laughs) He didn't speak Welsh at all but he used to sing the anthem in Welsh and we're not sure if he quite knew the exact pronunciation of the words but He certainly used to try, bless him. So he was Welsh? Uh, Yes. So his father was from Aberystwyth in Wales. So dad was actually brought up in England, but was always kind of in touch with his Welsh side.
1: So an intensely proud Welsh man. Yeah.
0: Definitely. I just got back from a trip to Aberystwyth in West Wales with my husband and my mum. My dad's wishes for his ashes were to be scattered off a cliff in um, are very, very close to Aberystwyth. So we tend to go back once a year to scatter a bit more of the ashes. Um, and we had an absolutely beautiful time. The weather was great. Everything worked really well, and it just reminded me of, of a couple of quite funny things that used to happen. We used to go to Aberystwyth once a year because my dad had family there. He had some elderly aunts there. And even though dad was born in England and he grew up in England, he was very proud of being from a Welsh family. His dad had been born in Aberystwyth. Yeah, we used to go and visit them once a year. And dad couldn't speak Welsh, but he used to pronounce all the Welsh place names in a really Welsh way. So Places like McCuncliffe, he used to say McCuncliffe, and he also used to say Borodar, which is kind of hello in Welsh, to anyone we passed while out and about. And my sister and I, when we were children, hearing our very kind of English accented dad pronouncing these Welsh place names and saying Borodar to everyone was just made us roll about laughing, because we only used to hear him say it once a year. But it's quite funny now, because when I was in Wales, I also now pronounce those Welsh place names like my dad did and like they should be in Welsh. And I also now say borrowed to people that I pass. So I think I'm probably quite proud of my Welsh roots as well. See, Welsh is a real mouthful. It's
1: brilliant that you can get your mouth around those, those spellings and those words. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the spellings are all right. Because I, I went to university there, I'm, I'm kind of used to seeing all this stuff spelt. But yeah, definitely the kind of the pronunciation has come from the way my dad used to pronounce them all. So it is quite funny that, yeah, I definitely give it the Welsh twang now when I'm there, which made my mum laugh this weekend when we were there. So <laughs> And there's also a, a very steep hill in Aberystwyth. It's a 25% gradient. So It's really very steep and my sister and I used to beg dad to drive up this 25% gradient hill in his old Volvo and we loved hearing the exhaust clanking and the gears clanking as he (laughs) tried to put it into the right gear to get up this hill And then once we were at the top, we used to beg him to drive down and then drive up again, which, yeah, he definitely enjoyed. Yeah, it just was was fun for us.
1: That must have been really meaningful for you to go to that cliff in Aberystwyth and do that.
0: Yeah, so this is the third lot of ashes we've scattered. There's still quite a lot of ashes left, actually, so... I was saying to mum, I've only got a third of the ashes, but I think there's probably at least, a, we take a little jam jar. And I think there's probably, I'd say at least another seven times that we can go with with a jam jar full of ash.
1: Oh, wonderful. So you're going to do that. It's like an annual pilgrimage. Yeah,
0: right? we'll try and do it once a year. It's a long way. It's kind of five and a half, six hours from London. But yeah, it's kind of, we normally try and go over the bank holiday weekend. So last year was the Queen's um, Jubilee And this time it was for the coronation, so just uh get the extra day.
1: You're bringing him home, really?
0: Yeah, it's what he wanted. My mum asked him when he was in the hospital. I'd always known because we used to go up that hill and he used to always say, even from when I was very young, this is where I want my ashes to be. And then when we were having our kind of goodbye phone calls with Dad in the hospital... Mum made sure that he did indeed want them there. So that's good. We we knew for sure exactly where he wanted them to go. So,
1: Why that cliff?
0: I don't know, actually. I think it reminded him of childhood. I think Aberystwyth was his favourite place in the world. And I think he probably had memories of going up there as a boy. There's a kind of funicular railway up there, and I think probably his aunt took him up there and he went to visit. Always a place he loved. The view's beautiful on a sunny day, which it was on Saturday when we scattered the last lot of ashes. You can see for miles, it's, yeah, there's kind of this cormorant circling. You can see the sea, you can see of itself. It's, yeah, it is a really stunning, stunning view from there.
1: Brilliant. What was he like as a person?
0: Oh, Karen, he was just the most... Wonderful dad. Uh, and I, I miss him so much. I was so, so lucky to have had him until I was in my 40s. He was really kind. He was always proud of me. He always encouraged me, especially with things like my sport. Um, he was just such a genuine man who cared so much about other people. He was really interesting to talk to. He, he was very interested in the world, especially current affairs and, and history. He enjoyed cooking. He made absolutely brilliant uh, vegetarian shepherd's pie and he would bake apples that he'd grown and picked from his own garden he was always a really hard worker and I think I well me and my sister both get our work ethic from dad he was just an all-round really brilliant really supportive dad what do you miss about him the most um I think just his kind of just being around he just yeah, he, he did just make my life better. He was just did so much for his family and also for the community where he lived. He gave us so much time. He just he was always keen to help family. He was always keen to help other people. Um, he did lots of voluntary work, just really generous, just always wanted everyone around him to be as good as he could make them. And yeah, he was he was just really supportive. I just, you know, I miss him every day. I really do.
1: Is there a memory that you cherish? particularly
0: yeah I think probably I went to um I actually went to university in Aberystwyth which as I mentioned is where his own dad's family were from and I know that made him really proud that I had chosen to study in Aberystwyth he used to bless him he used to drive me all the way from London to Aberystwyth at the start and end of term even though at that point in his beaten up old car it was about a seven hour one-way journey from London to Aberystwyth But he loved Aberystwyth, he loved me so much that it was just his pleasure to do that trip. He actually once drove from London to Aberystwyth and back again all in one day just to see me play in a a really important football match as I played for the uni team. In that last phone call that I had with him, I I mentioned that being at university in Aberystwyth was the happiest three years of my life. And yeah, I I just think, I hope, I'm I'm sure it made him really proud that I'd had such a good time in the place he loved the most in the world and yeah I'll kind of I'll definitely cherish those memories.
1: That's fortunate that you that was your last conversation.
0: Yeah I mean it was just it was a very short rushed phone call honestly I think it was it was about a two minute call just basically saying goodbye and I think well I don't know whether dad sort of didn't quite understand why I was saying all those things to him and whether you know he he knew that it was a a final conversation I don't know. I know on mum's phone call he asked her, Am I going to die? Which absolutely breaks my heart. I think Mum said something like, You're with lots of people who are trying to, you know, stop that happening, even though we'd been told he was about to be put on end of life care and you know that he, he wasn't going to survive. So yeah, that that's difficult. Whether whether he really understood what I was saying to him, he couldn't, well, I couldn't understand him. I think he had and probably a big oxygen mask on his face um so I, yeah I, I just don't know whether I don't know whether he really understood and he was trying to say something to me but I just couldn't understand down the phone what he was trying to say and yeah that's really difficult that I have no idea what his last words to me were supposed to be really hard that's
1: incredibly hard yeah and was that just a few days before he passed that you were able to speak to him on the phone? Or?
0: Yeah, that was that would have been the eighth of April, and then he died on the eleventh. So he was he was on end of life care for a while, but I think he was yeah he was unconscious for we were we were kind of sounds terrible, but we we were just waiting for him to die for three days, and he yeah blessing me he, he struggled on, but yeah eventually on eleventh of April, which was Easter Saturday, yeah he. He couldn't fight anymore, and and he sadly passed away.
1: Tell me about the time leading up to your dad falling ill, because he was only seventy seven. Yeah, is, is is fairly sprightly, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is, and he was. He was, you know, he, he was seventy seven, but he was otherwise a, a pretty fit and healthy man. he enjoyed swimming, he enjoyed gardening, he enjoyed kind of walking, enjoyed seeing friends, going to church, all that sort of thing. Um, we think well we're, we're almost certain he caught COVID in Sainsburys on the 19th March 2020, um, which was just a couple of days before the country was put into lockdown which was the 23rd of March. Yeah, he suffered at home for over a week after mum had been given the wrong advice on the NHS um, 111 line. They said it it was highly likely not COVID and it was a bacterial infection and they prescribed him antibiotics, which, of course, I don't think were going to work at all. Um, And he suffered at home with mum kind of trying to look after him, not quite understanding why he was getting so ill um, and then eventually on the 6th of April he collapsed at home mum called 999 and actually the ambulance had come all the way from Southampton to London because London had run out of ambulances at that point point. Um, and he was taken by ambulance straight to the hospital where pretty much immediately he was admitted the, um, the medical staff called mum and said that we all needed to needed to prepare for the worst Um, and then he died on the 11th of April 2020 so kind of poor mum really 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 suffered during those couple of weeks when he was ill Uh, and my sister and I couldn't do anything we you know we had been told to stay at home so we did and yeah whether I don't know looking back that was the right decision and whether we should have come and tried to help mum yeah again I will always feel really guilty for that But, you know, we were obeying the rules and doing what we were told. And, yeah, that's the way it was.
1: You said that he was shopping in Sainsbury's on the 19th. How do you feel about that? The fact, you know, that he caught it shopping, you know, that late on, really, when, you know, countries around the world had closed their borders and your dad was out shopping in Sainsbury's. And that's where you believe.
0: I think that... That was a difficult thing. I think there were kind of there was no plan B for people being able to almost sort of get their the groceries and the thing they needed. We'd been told we were likely to go into lockdown very soon after that. So, you know, of course, that was the point where everybody was panic buying and stripping the shelves. And yeah, it was kind of I think mum and dad thought, oh, my goodness, let's we have to go and we have to put stuff in the freezer and we have to buy groceries because there was almost no plan B for, okay, well, how else do elderly people get the stuff they need to actually, you know, live on and survive and have enough to eat in the, in the kind of the next few days and weeks when we were locked down. So yeah, I think if I could go back, I would say dad, mom, you know, my husband and I will bring you everything you needed but you know we'd all been told oh my god we're about to go into lockdown panic buy panic buy there's going to be no food left on the shelves you know what do we all do for food and yeah we were I think they were there at the time and there was this kind of the shopping hour I think it was between 8 and 9 a.m for I think it was NHS workers and vulnerable people and so mum and dad because they were both in their 70s, were, were counted as these kind of vulnerable people. But of course, there were hundreds and hundreds of other vulnerable people who also needed shopping. And so, yeah, Sainsbury's was really, really crowded. I think mum said they queued for about an hour just to get through the till. So at that point, there were no masks. There were obviously no vaccines. Um, yeah. So they kind of just being around these other people and you know queuing in a, a crowded area and you know, sort of being in the same place for an hour while they they shuffled through the tills was... Well, it was definitely poor old dad.
1: Do you feel if the government had locked down earlier that your dad would still be alive?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, I do think, yeah, the kind of, I I do think dad died because the UK locked down too late in March 2020. And I believe locking down even five days earlier would mean dad was still here. And also the many thousands of other loved ones who died around the same time that dad did. Yeah, I just think we had warnings from Italy, we had warnings from China, and they kind of, went to and fro with locking down and you know it's it was deathly and fatal for so many people in the UK I think especially vulnerable people and yeah that would always make me not only angry but just very very sad that you know kind of almost yeah the thing we we were all saying please just lock down and and they just didn't and yeah it, it was it was fatal for thousands of people.
1: I think on, on, on this day I should just really repeat that I am deeply sorry for every uh, life that has been lost and of course as as, uh, as Prime Minister I take full responsibility for everything that the government uh, has done. What I can tell you is that uh, we truly did everything we could and continue to do everything that we can uh, to minimise loss of life and to minimise suffering in what has been a very very difficult uh, stage uh, and a very, very difficult crisis for our country. How does that make you feel, Becky, listening to Boris Johnson?
0: Oh, Karen, honestly, it just, I i did, and I still do think it's its just appalling. Um, like I said, the late lockdowns were fatal. I think letting COVID-positive people go from hospitals to care homes were fatal. Partygate going on while so many of us couldn't say goodbye to our dying loved ones. They're lying about partygate. not listening to the science properly, giving their friends PPE contracts because we had no PPE reserves, because we hadn't taken any pandemic preparedness seriously enough. Oh, the list goes on, honestly. um Yeah, I think that Boris Johnson saying that the government did everything they could to limit coronavirus deaths well I I think this is a blatant lie like I said I'm certain dad died because the UK locked down too late Um, yeah and I think the government's actions and words since kind of February March 2020 proved to me that they absolutely 100% didn't do everything they could and we've got over 200,000 COVID deaths in the UK because of lack of action I will never, ever forgive the government for the fact that my wonderful, kind, generous dad died by himself in a hospital ward without a proper goodbye from any of his loved ones.
1: At the time of Boris saying that... that he did everything that he could to limit COVID-19 death. That was back in, at the end of January 2021. And prior to that date, the 26th of January, when he was speaking, it was then revealed that 14 parties or get-togethers at Downing Street. And in fact, there was one more after he was speaking.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I just think it's all disgusting. I think the fact i mean boris johnson has gone now but it took many many months for him to sort of be found out he lied in parliament i believe he he lied to us he just didn't take any of it seriously i think think, yeah people kind of saying he he did the best he could i honestly don't think he did i think he he just didn't take any of it seriously and yeah i think kind of he wanted to be the the populist leader who you know i get he didn't want to lock down and you know i'm sure there's there's been research since that you know says there's all sorts of reasons why lockdown is a bad thing but it also did save thousands and thousands of lives and yeah just honestly hearing boris johnson's voice these days and and seeing him I'm, i'm glad he's not our prime minister anymore and i don't have to kind of read and and hear him quite so often as as i did it just makes me really angry
1: you, like so many other COVID bereaved people have been unable to close the circle of grief. That is related to the fact that, you know, in so many cases, these usual death rituals were denied. So for example, there wasn't a goodbye. There wasn't a funeral, for example. Uh, you might not have been able to see your, the body of your loved one or to dress your loved one or to place something in the coffin. Those kind of rituals that we've always taken for granted. Uh, being denied that sort of left people struggling to close the circle and in many cases there's the feeling of that the loss the passing of a loved one is dreamlike or surreal and has been sort of dehumanized and delegitimized in some way you said that you really do relate to the fact that dad's passing doesn't feel real to you can you sort of elaborate a bit on that and why why you feel that
0: yeah sure i, I can definitely relate to the fact that dad's death does feel dreamlike we couldn't see him in the hospital when he was dying even though my mum my sister and I all live separately quite close to the hospital where he did die and I had one very short goodbye phone call down a nurse's phone and was then told dad had died via a whatsapp message from mum as the hospital had called mum and she didn't know whether to call my sister or me first to tell us that dad had died so she just whatsapp us both at the same time we definitely couldn't have a funeral I didn't see his body we didn't have the kind of the next step in the grieving process and he was also cremated miles away from London because there was no crematorium space left in London so we couldn't even be there when he was cremated I couldn't see or hug mum or go inside her house for weeks after Dad died, as we'd been told we couldn't and we shouldn't. And I think, yeah, not having a chance to kind of grieve together as a family just made it all quite sort of dreamlike as well, because we were the world was so strange at that time and we were all kind of everybody was separately in their houses, and you know, we were we were grieving separately, but we couldn't kind of see anybody because everything was so surreal when we were all locked down it meant I could kind of push the fact dad had died to the back of my head somewhere just because I wasn't seeing any friends or family. First time I remember going into mum's house, which was several weeks after dad died, I remember thinking he was going to still be sitting in his chair. And I, yeah, I found that very difficult to have to kind of brutally faced the fact that he wasn't there and that he really had died certainly coming out of lockdown was very very difficult where where was dad it felt like leaving him behind and it took me a long time to feel comfortable seeing friends and, and being kind of so-called normal again because it felt like if I stayed locked down he might somehow come back again and I wouldn't be leaving him behind I think the kind of bouncing in and out of lockdowns as we were kind of in in 2020 didn't help with this you know, just because I hadn't seen lots of friends and loved ones during those in-between times. So part of me felt that I just hadn't seen dad, like I hadn't seen lots of other people I care about. But I think, yeah, even now, sometimes I feel like he's going to reappear, silly as that sounds, just because we were denied everything we should have had as grieving processes. And the fact that I didn't see him at all from March 2020 onwards just kind of felt like another surreal part of the pandemic and just part of the kind of strange strange isolation that so many of us were dealing with that time. I see photos of dad around the house and it kind of I just get a kind of donkey kick in my heart that, you know, he he really has gone I'm never going to see him again. One of the kind of the biggest things is is not being able to say goodbye to him in person. I think that's the thing that will always, always just haunt me. Um, I've had several friends and family members since dad has died who have lost someone close to them, like a dad, and they got to say a proper goodbye and they got to hold their loved one's hand as that person died. I think I'll never feel, you know, jealous of those people because obviously they've lost a loved one as well. But I think, It's just the not knowing what dad was going through in the hospital, not knowing if dad knew he was dying. Not knowing if he died alone, if he was scared, if any of the staff were with him when he died, if anyone was kind of holding his hand. I think that's the bit that I find just a real trigger point. And it would just always make me feel really guilty. I would never know how much he suffered in that COVID ward in those last few days of his life. And I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have, you know, cuddled him, held his hand as he died. Just, yeah, he should have had his loving family around him and not you know, be surrounded by staff who I'm sure were manically busy and all in PPE and yeah, just I'm sure were very harassed. And yeah, I think it's, it's just the not knowing, just not knowing the circumstances, circumstances of his death or even what the ward, what the bed looked like where he did die. And I will never know that. And that's, that was really difficult.
1: So there's a complete dearth of information then.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We were told that somebody did hold his hand as he died. Um, And the hospital actually said to my mum on the phone, is there a a message you want to pass on to your husband? And we were told this uh, junior doctor relayed that to him and held his hand as he did die. But I hope that was the case. I'm sure it was, but we will never know for sure. And we don't even know who it was who supposedly did hold his hand as he died. And yeah, that's, that's difficult. It was a kind of, it was a junior doctor and not his family.
1: And have you wanted to go back to the hospital? Which
0: hospital was it, Becky? It's North Middlesex in Edmonton and North London. At the time, they'd kind of, they changed one of the wards into a COVID ward. So I think even if we did go back, it just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't look the same. It wouldn't be the same. They kind of, I think, I mean, the hospital themselves had told mum that they were in disarray and chaos. And I think, yeah, just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't look the same. And, And, you know, we still don't know any of the things about whether he was frightened, whether he knew he was dying, just, yeah, any of, any of those kind of things, which, no, it does make me feel very guilty. You know, I really wish, we could have been there and we should have been there, but, you know, the hospital said we weren't allowed to be and, you know, we'd been told we couldn't be, so we accepted that.
1: And you said that he was cremated miles from home. Where did that happen?
0: That I was down in Andover, so, yeah, quite a long way from North London where he died. Do you have any information about that? Or No, not really. I think that's one of the things we kind of, we're, we're not sure we really want to know about. His ashes came back with... My mum's sister and I have each got some of his ashes and yeah, I think, yeah, that that's enough. I don't think we need to kind of see where he was cremated, especially as, you know, it was such a, almost like a brutal cremation, just his body going all the way from North London to, to Andover and then his ashes coming back again. That's, yeah, something I don't necessarily want to kind of think about what happened in between, I suppose, I think. Very dehumanising very yeah I think that's another thing that makes it quite dreamlike just yeah we have no idea we have no idea really where he died we have no idea really where he was cremated um we don't really know any of the circumstances around you know his death or his cremation and yeah I think in kind of in a sort of so-called normal death people know all that stuff and yeah that that sort of that I'm sure helps with the grieving process somehow but yeah we were We were denied all of that, which is very difficult.
1: One of the things when we were corresponding stood out for me was when you said, if I had stayed locked down, he might somehow come back again. That's such an unusual sentence.
0: Yeah, I think it's, uh, like I said, I think it was almost, life was so surreal. You know, I wasn't even seeing mum at that time because we were all locked down. And I think, yeah, it was kind of the complete, the lack of reality for almost everybody around that time and they kind of yeah almost felt that he he was still around but because we were locked down we just couldn't see him like we couldn't see anyone else apart from the people we lived with and it was difficult to kind of to come out of lockdown and and realize that yeah dad wasn't there anymore and he wasn't still sitting in his chair and I I had um some bereavement counseling and and we kind of explored that because I think coming out of lockdown was difficult because of that, but also because I was really scared of mum getting COVID, of mum dying of COVID, and... Yeah, I, yeah. I just I wanted to protect mom, uh, like so we didn't have to go through a, another COVID bereavement. So yeah, the kind of the bouncing in between lockdowns was really difficult for me. It took a long time to be able to sort of properly see friends again and and not be completely paranoid about catching COVID, passing COVID on to to anybody. Coming up to the three years was more difficult than coming up to the two years, and I was trying to work out kind of why that was and I think almost I think partly because he's missed so much now my nephew who was only a baby when dad died is a you know real kind of walking talking human who's going to school in September Um and I think as well kind of the one year anniversary we were just coming out of the long lockdown so I think everybody including me was focused on oh, the gyms reopening and We can meet each other again and that kind of thing. I think last year, sort of life was very much going back to, I won't say normal, but how it was before the pandemic with, you know, socialising starting. I was back in the office, just about. So I think the focus was on, oh, wow, you know, life is back to how it was. And I think this year, I don't know, just because almost yeah life has been normal for more than a year almost that yeah I kind of I don't want to forget him and it feels like he has been left behind I know I said that before and I think still stand by that That kind of oh life is back to how it was and and where is he so yeah the this year was definitely harder but hopefully hopefully this will be the hard year and then it will hopefully get easier in the in the next few anniversaries
1: Is there any part of this journey that you keep reliving or that you just can't get out of your head or you can't process?
0: I think probably the biggest one to me is just whether he was alone when he died, um, whether he called out for us as he was dying, whether he didn't understand why we couldn't visit him. I mean, I think we'd been told he was on a COVID ward, I think with 32 other people. And uh, yeah, I, I think none of them could have visitors either. But yeah just whether he didn't understand why we weren't visiting him and also as i've mentioned when and whether he knew he was dying yeah i just think kind of wh- whether he was surrounded by others dying of covid right in front of him or next to him and listening to them take their last breaths um and just yeah hearing people dying around him of the same thing that i'm sure he knew he was at least suffering from if not dying from but i'm certain he knew he was dying from it i just think that must have been safe writing for him and yeah I think that's just really difficult that I would never get the chance to comfort him and you know hug him hold him hold his hand as he died that's that's something that will you know I will I will never be able to do for my dad and yeah that's that's a really difficult thing for me.
1: Do you think you'll ever be able to accept the reality of, of what happened?
0: No, well probably not in that point of view I think certainly for me time has been a bit of a healer and i can kind of i can look at photos of him now i can you know remember the sort of happy times and yeah doing things like this podcast and just and being able to talk about him without you know bursting into floods of tears gets a little bit easier well i hope i'm a i'm a big supporter of the the covid-19 inquiry and i just if dad's death and all these deaths can be kind of can be used for anything it would be to see a lot of learnings come out of it so if we do get a new pandemic a new strain of covid whatever it might be that hits us in the future just us as a country would be far far more prepared and be able to protect particularly the elderly and, and more vulnerable people in society because i just don't i think they would they would just almost left yeah I just I just want to see lots of learnings come out so that nobody nobody else will lose a loved one to to COVID or anything
1: do you have coping strategies is there anything that helps you to come to terms with what's been described as a grief like no other
0: um I think being involved with COVID-19 bereaved families for justice group has been really important for me like I said it's the yeah making sure nobody else loses a loved one to it. I think that's really important whether there was a tick box exercise when with dad because he was 77 um, whether I don't know the government had given the NHS some sort of tick box to say we were told dad wasn't going to be put on a ventilator and, and we don't really understand why because you know he was fit and healthy there was no reason why he shouldn't have been put on a ventilator I think I do lots of exercise I think that's helpful just yeah for kind of for mental health generally but just to kind of kind of make make sure I'm looking after myself I certainly one of the rare people at the start of lockdown who just wasn't really drinking any alcohol because I just I wanted to cope with my feelings as they were rather than kind of pat them down with alcohol or anything else so yeah I think just trying to Trying to live a healthy life. I think, as I said, Dad was very supportive with all of my sport and kind of just being in the gym. And yeah, I think he'd be proud that, you know, I'm, I'm still really into my sport and it's still something that I try and do every day and, and that I just really enjoy.
1: You're quite the sportswoman, having swum for Enfield County and a keen badminton player but also a keen runner. You have a memory don't you of your of running a marathon was it?
0: Yes uh, I ran the London Marathon in 2010. My sister also ran it but she's a lot faster than me so my mum had gone <laughs> I think gone home with my sister by that point because she ran it quite a lot faster than I did but my dad after five hours of waiting as I crossed the finish line um, was there waving in the stands as I, as I crossed the finish line and as I got my medal and burst into tears because I was so happy to have finished running the marathon. And yeah, that was a great memory of him just kind of waving manically as I ran up towards Buckingham Palace um, almost with my my knee joints breaking and almost crawling over that finish line. But yeah, that was that was a lovely memory. I'm really glad you got to see me do that.
1: You mentioned you've had bereavement counselling. Have they given any advice in terms of how to cope with the fact you didn't have so many of these rituals that go with with a death of a loved one?
0: No, they actually didn't. I had it coming up to the one year anniversary. So it was March 2021 um, when I had the counselling and it was difficult to talk about it then um we did have a kind of what you call it, celebration of life service I suppose in August last year so we did get together with his friends and family there were about 50 of us and had a very nice afternoon tea um in fact it was it, well it was on the same date as what mum and dad's 50th wedding wedding anniversary would be and in the same venue and the man who did the best man speech at their wedding day also did a speech for dad's celebration of life so we've at least had that um which helped that was yeah the kind of the last step in the I suppose you call it official grieving um I think getting through all the one-year anniversaries as well was was a good thing kind of his birthday father's day Christmas first Christmas all of that sort of thing once the one-year anniversary passed I did kind of start feeling a bit better but yeah nothing nothing professional to help me get through that I think I think it was just a matter of of time really.
1: If you could go back and relive any memory with your dad
0: what would it? Be? I think probably my wedding day I think at least I I got him walking me down the aisle I got him doing the father of the bride speech I think you know there's there's lots of people who've lost dads who didn't get that and I think yeah he my husband loved him and he loved my husband and yeah it it was I think I was lucky that he was he was able to do that and I haven't got the memory of a wedding day without my dad being able to do those things.
1: And is there anything left unsaid? Wow
0: Um, I think like all people when they lose a loved one probably just asking him more about his childhood about his teenage years about his hopes and dreams I think lots of people say that oh I wish I'd asked him more about his childhood and I think certainly kind of being able to have that last hug almost knowing he was dying the last hug I gave him you know we had no idea what was about to happen and yeah it was it was just quite a short hug at a, a train station um rather than the kind of the really long loving hug that. I feel I should have had with him where, you know, I could really tell him that I loved him and that I was proud of him. And, you know, he, he made my life so much better for you know, almost sort of 42 years. So yeah, I think I wish I'd had the chance to do that.
1: I mean, as I said to you, I was taken aback when you said you felt if you had stayed in lockdown, that somehow your dad would come back into your life and you know that's definitely something i've mentioned it to other guests on the show and that's definitely something that people relate to how people felt secure and safe in that lockdown bubble but when restrictions were lifted then suddenly you're confronted with this massive loss that you know
0: face it yeah definitely 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 and i think certainly for mum she felt safe in lockdown and then when when everybody came out of lockdown of course she was I mean pretty much the only person that we knew who'd lost a partner so kind of everyone was meeting up socially again and mum had someone missing and yeah I know you kind of of course I don't I don't get upset when people mention seeing their mum and dad but it is, yeah, it's kind of going back to normal for a lot of people was going back to normal. It was going back to exactly the same really as before the pandemic. But for, for my family, it, it will never be completely normal again because, you know, we've got a big part of our family missing. So yeah, it's it definitely difficult.
1: I mean, I refer to it as distorted grief because yes, while the grief has been put on hold or been suspended, I think you know the way people are experiencing the grief is almost so back to front, but it's it's more than just on hold. It's just really very, um, yeah, messed up. Yeah, I it, think
0: that's why things like scattering the ashes, especially in such beautiful weather, would, you know, it was it was tinged with sadness, but he was getting his wish. It means we have some sort of like a bit more closure somehow that you know we get to go back to Aberystwyth and we get to. Uh, you know, give Dad kind of what he wanted for his ashes, even though you know, we didn't have a proper funeral, we didn't have proper goodbyes. At least we can do this for him, and that, yeah, I think that feels that feels good, and that feels nice that he is at least getting that, and we're we're getting some sort of closure from that. So, yeah, definitely tinged the sadness, but you know, it's also it's so beautiful up there that it lifts all our spirits as well. So. Brilliant.
1: And do you still have those feelings or surreal feelings surrounding the loss of your dad? Do you experience, you know, that you feel that it hasn't happened or that, you know, you could come across him again? Do you go to phone him or, you know, do you still have any of those feelings?
0: Yeah, I think obviously I haven't lost another parent and I don't know how it feels for people who lost a parent in... Sort of different circumstances when they, when they could say goodbye and when they could, you know, hold their hands as they died and, and that kind of thing. So uh, I have no frame of reference to compare it to, but I think definitely because, you know, I, I just wasn't with him at the end and we didn't have the funeral and, you know, I sort of, I couldn't say a proper goodbye. I, I have no, I have nothing in my head to, uh, Kind of say that it really happened. I suppose there's at least there's a body, you know, we just got a, a pot of ash coming back from the cremation that had to happen outside of London because there was no cremation space left. And um, we got this ash and you know, going from seeing my dad before we went into lockdown to having a pot of ash, there was kind of, there was nothing in between, which yeah, kind of, I think that's, that's a pretty abnormal thing. Friends yeah. and family I know who've, who've lost a parent where. You know, you crowd around their bed, you hold their hand as they die, you have the funeral, you, I don't know, go and see the body. We've had none of that. So I think there's nothing in my head that proves he died in a way, even though, you know, I I know he did. There's no proof of it, really.
1: Yeah, seeing is believing. Yes. One of the grief experts who spoke, I think it was some episode two, she spoke about a dangling grief or a dangling remorse that is just there, but, you know, your sort of mind doesn't know what to do with it because, as you say, you didn't see it happen.
0: No, absolutely no no proof either
1: way, really, <laughs> you know. It's... And what is his legacy?
0: I think just, like I mentioned, the work ethic of, of me and my sister I think just yeah all of us living life still to make him very proud and kind of yeah just just the memory of I really enjoy travel and he he wasn't a massive traveler um but he always kind of liked to see all my photos liked to talk about the places he would you know, read about the history of the places and and be able to sort of chat about i don't know buildings and sites that i might have seen in those countries i I go to some quite strange countries on my travels um i think the legacy of just honestly living to to just make him proud and, and working hard and continuing my sport and my travel and yeah just kind of making sure his grandchildren remember him as well okay
1: lovely thank you becky thank you for sharing the happy bits and also the sad bits of your dad's story and I'm sure that you sharing your experiences will help people in a similar position. Thank you Karen. Thank- Thanks so much for listening. Please do subscribe and review the podcast if you get a minute and if you'd like to make a donation you can do so via the show notes. The price of a coffee would be fantastic and also please do follow Stolen Goodbyes on Twitter at Rise KMC and under Stolen Goodbyes on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to participate, you can email at stolengoodbyes at gmail.com or visit my website www.karen-rice.com. Good luck.